As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. He's Ari Wasserman, and he's sitting right across from me. In the, I guess this is, Ari, this is our second in-person mm-hmm. podcast. First one, Scottsdale, Arizona, at the Ath- Ath- Athlon Athletic. I used to work at Athlon, the Athletic College Football Summit. This one, Ari's in town for a player personnel symposium. We're going to this week. Welcome to Nashville. Welcome to my house in Bellevue. I, Bellevue, Tennessee, I guess. Yeah, uh, this is a very cozy extra spare room here. We got Vanderbilt baseball stuff on the wall. We got a bunch of Athlon magazines bound, um, some bound copies of the, the the infamous Hustler. Yes, the Vanderbilt Hustler, I'm gonna, not I'm gonna, the actual Hustler. I'm going to look through that to make sure that it's actual college newspapers and not the types of Hustlers I had when I was a kid. Um, but, yeah, it's good to be here and good to, to have a recruiting podcast with you in person again. The one thing that we will say is that because of the symposium that we're going to together with Max Olson and Grace Rayner, um, we are recording this a day earlier than we typically do. So if somebody commits or uh, a big thing happens in the world of recruiting on Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning or whenever we usually record this and we don't get to it, we don't hate your favorite team. I know that's your favorite thing to think. Uh, We just recorded this early. So we will get to it on the following week's podcast if it comes to it, but you know, Maybe we'll we'll catch a break and this will still be pretty up to date by the time you listen to it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a lot of stuff to talk about as usual. We're going to talk about Ari's commitment column about Oklahoma and Brent Venables, which we will talk about. But I know you feel the same way. We were surprised with, about the the reaction to that. Do you think it was your fault? Why? Because the headline. Do you think the headline got people angry before they started reading it? I think people got angry without reading it. Yes, because it was very. We'll, we'll get into it, but it was a yes. compliment. It was. 80% complimentary, and the other 20% weren't not complimentary. They were just sort of like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do things this way. Maybe but, I was just a little bit overly sarcastic yeah, at times. Yeah. I don't know. We'll get to it. Okay. Uh, I want to touch on something Lincoln Riley said at the uh, about NIL on at Pac-12 Media Day that I just thought made a lot of sense and was kind of refreshing. And then, Ari, th- there were a lot of – sure, there were some commitments this week, but there were a lot of offers made to – really high-profile commitments from other schools and some decommitments. It just seemed like we're going to talk about Notre Dame. Notre Dame's one of those schools that just threw a lot of offers out to committed prospects and had some of its players, some of its commitments get offered elsewhere. Um, we're going to got the mailbag, got a trivia question. So let, let's, and now I absolutely can't cheat because I don't have a computer in front of me. Exactly, exactly. So let's first talk about the Brent Venables column. Um so it turned out, it surfaced, there, there's a clip from Venables, which we were both incorrect at first. Yes. Thought it was from Friday, but it made sense. Like, why would he have a just, I mean, I guess he could have a press conference because camp's about to start. But it was it was someone asking him about, um, you know, him coming from Clemson, obviously, and the, 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 uh, the Clemson um, plan of attack, whatever you want to call it, about not letting any commitments go on other visits. And basically asked Brent Venables, was that going to be his policy there? And he gave a very strong passionate explanation makes a lot of sense but you kind of saw that and said had a column idea so i'll let you take it yes yes i saw it on twitter circulating like everybody else who who saw it and 
Um, I wish I would have seen it when he said it because I would have written the same thing then. Um, and, and the and the point of the the story is is that I'm not necessarily sure. In my personal opinion, so before you scream, uh, let me talk because <laughs> I can hear the comments. Just I'm scarred by them. They they ruined my Sunday. I didn't even know that that was gonna. Yeah. You know, go the way that it went, but just that my my idea of what I would do if I were a coach wouldn't be to create a rule that causes somebody to feel a certain way if and when they have second thoughts. And I understand the thought process. Don't commit, don't commit, don't commit, right? That's part of uh, of the quote, but it is don't commit until you're 100,000% sure that you are going to come to Oklahoma, you don't need to take any other visits, and we are the place for you. And I think it's a really good thought in the sense that if you do get somebody to make that commitment, it probably mitigates the risk down the line that more people will flip or visit other places than at another place. Nobody is denying that. The thing that I will say is that, and you know this better than I do, you have teenage children, they don't always keep their mind made up. Or they might have a different thought process or be indecisive or talk to their friends or decide that they want to see something new or see something on Twitter that they didn't ever know before. And it might not always work out that way. And if you put yourself in a position to have a steadfast rule, which is if you visit somewhere else, you are no longer considered commit committed, even though we all know semantically somebody who's visiting somebody else isn't actually committed because they're still looking at other places, let them live in the world of semantics because if you make them feel even 5% that they're no longer a part of your program or that they're replaceable, then all you're doing is putting yourself in a greater risk of losing that player. Now, they lost a, a receiver who flipped to Oregon earlier on in the cycle when this happened, and they replaced him with a player that was higher, was much higher rated, right? It worked out. But the point isn't that Brenton Venables is a good recruiter who can get somebody better. Of course, he's great. The point is that they lost the player. So when you start talking about people um, in the top 100s and the top 150s who are going to inevitably want to do this too, the same way Corey Foreman did at Clemson, you have to be careful with the way that you couch things because you might make somebody feel like they are expendable and that might cause them to flip in a situation that they wouldn't. So that's my only thought process. I didn't think it was me you know, saying that the program sucks or that they'll never resign a good class or that Brett Venables is an idiot. That's not my point at all. My point is that why why create the rule when you're just going to do those things without the rule? If some if you're a coach and you have a player in a world that this rule doesn't exist that is visiting other places, then of course you start calling other people and you you do yourself the the service of having a contingency plan. It's still the same thing, except the player that's visiting other places feels a little bit differently about it. And a lot of times you don't want that player to leave. If this is a, if this is a stop people from leaving, then don't push them out the door. Um, and I think it was a, this is very relevant to right now because as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, Austin Novosad, the four-star quarterback who committed to Baylor early in the process, then got an Ohio State offer, then an A&M offer, and a Notre Dame offer, and took all these visits, reaffirmed his commitment to Baylor. And if, if Baylor had the same policy, um, my opinion is that there would have been a higher likelihood that he would have left. So to me, accept the commitment, support them if they change their mind, do what you have to do behind the scenes, but don't create a policy that doesn't really change anything other than to put pressure on people that are predisposed to change their minds. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, quarterback's obviously a unique situation because for the most part, you just need one, want one. Like I know I listened to you and Andy uh, on the pod discuss, I think Sunday night. So it's probably a little fresher in your mind. And you kept bringing up Jackson Arnold and, you know, would quarterbacks get special treatment from that staff? And maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Quarterback's different because if Jackson Arnold, their five-star quarterback, decided he wanted to take two visits and they cut, quote-unquote, cut him loose, it's not like the receiver situation where they can find someone better or comparable or just slightly worse and they still have a good player. You know, if, you, I mean, when the chips are high you're not, and the player is a higher-profile yeah. player, it's not going to work out the same way it did with Cozart. So, yeah, you're not, and the thing, too, is that they're not cutting them loose. Right. I'm not, I don't think that they're, they're saying, you know what, Jackson Arnold, you're no longer welcome in our class. Right, I think what they do say is, that's fine. Go ahead and look around, but I just want you to know that as you're looking around, we are, too. 
And if that's what you want to say to your five-star quarterback when he's going to Alabama or he's going to Georgia or he's going somewhere else, then go ahead and say that to him. It's not going to work out most of the time, in my opinion. So, And the thing, too, is that if the no-visit policy doesn't doesn't actually stop you from wanting them in your class the same way that they continue to, to recruit Corey Foreman, then it's a fake rule to begin with. So... You know, and also, too, like Oklahoma is recruiting very, very well right now. Their fans are super amped up about it, and they should be. Brent Venables was the slam dunk hire that they had to make when they lost uh, the coach that they thought was going to be there for a long time. Um, but the 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 entire world of, of creating this thing is just a difficult, it's just a difficult proposition. And they aren't recruiting against the teams that they're going to have to beat in recruiting a lot of the times like Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State, the the really, really hard teams to recruit against. You know, I know they, they run up against them, but like right now they're in battles with like Oregon and Miami and Texas and those schools. When they start getting into that sandbox, which the hope is that it'll be very, very frequently and very soon, the rules of recruiting aren't as cut and dry anymore when you get into those into those worlds. And if you create a rule that doesn't exist anywhere else other than Clemson and try to duplicate what Clemson's doing... I'd make the case that, A, it's a really, really hard thing to do and unnecessary to put yourself in that situation, and B, Clemson, in my opinion, is having a really hard time sustaining what they are. Like, Clemson's has a pretty good class in this cycle, but they're not recruiting like Alabama and Georgia. And we know what Clemson is, right? A team that has won multiple national championships and is an annual contender to win it all, but are they going to be that way under these rules in five years, or are they going to have to adapt those rules? Because Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State don't play by those rules. So if you play by those rules and you slip, I I just don't understand. Is the benefit of that, the culture, whatever, or the who fits in our program, is the benefit of that outweighs the negative that can arise from it? Because you're two or three five-star quarterbacks flipping out of your class away from being a completely different program. Yeah, and it's, I mean, critique is not really the right word. It wasn't a criticism. It, and I think it was, it was a criticism. Okay. I, I, okay. I, I mean, I'll come out um, and say, like, this is the thing, too, that really irritates me. And, like, I'm getting fired yeah. up, you can tell. I can criticize a coach or something about their plan that I don't think is great. It doesn't mean that I think they suck. It doesn't mean that I think that Oklahoma can't sign a top 10 class. It doesn't mean that and I don't think will. they can make the playoff. It's just a criticism in an intricate, direct place in his recruiting strategy that I would do differently. And guess what, Mitch? I'm wrong all the time. Maybe I'm wrong. He's getting paid millions of dollars, and he has to do it his way, and I respect the fact that he's doing it his way. But as a recruiting reporter at our company, when something is going viral on the Internet and I see it, it's my job to react to it and give people a place to, to read and, and to comment about it. So I can think that there's a portion of Brent Venables' plan that I wouldn't really subscribe to. It doesn't mean I think he's a shit coach. And, like, there's got to be some middle nuance context ground there for people to understand. And I think that, you know, now that I'm kind of feeling a little bit in my feelings about it, people are fired up about the situation with the Oklahoma beat at the Athletic. I think people were fired up about the um, headline, thanks to you. And I think that I was overly sarcastic. And there's one thing that I will have a conversation with you about. Maybe the analogy that I made about accepting visits from a committed player was not right. You, you're the one who, who said that to me, so you changed your mind about that, Yeah, right? I, I would, and, you know, Ari writes this, contacts me on Sunday morning or whenever it was. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday morning, said, yeah. I want to write a column. I was like, sure, I'm, let's, let's do it. So I read it, and as Ari can tell you, I push back on a lot of things Ari says. I don't I just, I'll slack him and say, hey, this is what you said. Is this what you mean? And... Usually he's like, yeah, but sometimes they'll say, okay, I see your point. Like after reading the column and, and digesting it, I might have, I thought to myself, okay, probably could have pushed back on that because what Brent Venables is saying, if a five-star player who's committed to Notre Dame wants to come visit Oklahoma, I'm not being hypocritical. I'm just viewing him as he's not really committed to Notre Dame, just like I'm not considering the, my right. five-star who visits elsewhere committed. So, I, And if that's the way you want to view it and then my analogy was wrong, I can accept that portion of my responsibility in that column of that being wrong. Because you would think, don't let anybody in my program visit anybody else, and that would kind of conflict with the idea that you're inviting somebody else who's committed elsewhere. Because the thing, too, is like stop using the marriage analogy. It's not marriage. 
Because in marriage, there's two people who have a responsibility to be faithful to one another. And in this world, it's kind of like, uh -huh, over here, over here, yeah. over here. If marriage was like that, then I'd be on Tinder right now. That's not the way it works. <laughs> You're not? No, I'm not. I okay. love my wife very much. Um, and the other thing, too, that is really fascinating to me about the stuff is that there will be an instance in time because we always talk about culture and fit, right, Mitch? It's always culture fit, culture fit. If the person wants to flip out of our class and they weren't a good fit. What about the players who are committed to Oklahoma and want to look around but are afraid to because they don't want to lose their spot and then come there not not actually feeling like that's where they wanted to go? Like, you're going to have the opposite of that, too, of just like, you know, I was just in a, in a uh, high school a few months ago talking to a coach that was there, and he was a four-star prospect when he was a player. And he said he went to Texas because his mom wanted him to go there and because it was then state school and he didn't want to turn his back on his home state, but he knew in his gut that he didn't, he wasn't 100% sure he wanted to go there, but there was a no visit policy, but he signed there anyway because he didn't want to disappoint people and then he transferred out. And in a world of transfers, don't you want people to go explore the country and see what they want to see? And I get it. Do it first. Do it first. Do it first. And in an ideal world, if everybody visits first and then commits, that's great. Unfortunately, recruiting doesn't just go in a, in a linear path and people to go on their visits in the spring and go, you know what? I'm done here. What if Oklahoma loses four games and has a bad year and people want to look around? What if this happens? What if that happens? It's not just, you know, anybody can write a thesis of how perfect it all, all maps out, but it's a messy game. It's messy. Yeah. It, before we move on, I want to say one more thing. And one thing, Ari, we're not privy to is the communication that's going on between these players and, and the coaches, obviously. Sure. So if, if Austin Nova said, who is committed to Baylor since, I believe, December, you know, I, I would think he reached out to the Baylor staff and said, hey, yeah, coaches, I'm going up to Ohio State. I'm going to look around. I promise you I will have my final decision made by August 1st or whatever. And then we are going to move on. I'm 100% in your class. That's different than a kid just who's been committed, decides to take a visit, might wait another month and take another visit. Like, I, I would think it's yeah. it's just... And, like, Oklahoma and Baylor are different worlds. Because if you have an Oklahoma offer, you probably have other really big-time offers. So, like, I understand, too, that the stature of your program kind of changes this. Like, if... if uh, Arizona State wanted to start doing this, it wouldn't work. Like Oklahoma is already built Not up much enough. Not that Arizona State's doing. Yeah, like is one, once, yeah, but once Oklahoma gets a commitment from somebody, that means that person's already kind of ascended to the top of the recruiting world. So there's not, you're not going to have a lot of situations like the Baylor situation where you get a commit early or the Texas Tech situation where you get a commit early and then all of a sudden an Ohio State offer flies out of the sky and the next thing you know their recruitment's different. So I understand that. It's just complicated and it is a rule and I don't know if the rule is necessary. And is that like, and maybe I'm wrong, but like, why do people act like I said, like Oklahoma's a shithole and I hate their coach and their team will never be good. Well, you have made disparaging comments about Norman. I didn't make a disparaging <laughs> comment about Norman. I made a high praise comment about LA. Exactly. You complimented Alabama. Can, can, can LA or Lincoln Riley's house and the portion of the L.A. area that he lives in be one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth and Norman be a nice town? Can both of those two yes. things be, be agreed? Yes, probably true. Okay, and then, so if they're both, if those are both true, and then I say, I would rather live <laughs> in the most beautiful place, in one of the most beautiful places in the world over Norman, is that insulting? To some people it is. If both of those first things are true, <laughs> I, I gotcha. Okay. People don't understand how to contextualize like multiple thoughts at once. You know why? It's like one or the other, and it bothers me. People are passionate, and we 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 love these passionate people. We have jobs because there are so many passionate. I love people. them very much. Yes. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind-the-scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. All right, let's transition to Lincoln Riley. Um, this is nothing like... I don't even know what he said, yeah, so I'm no, excited I mean, to it, hear about it. It's nothing like that 
profound. I just thought, you know, people, you know, USC is one of those schools. If you're saying haves and have nots of college football, you'd put USC in the haves, right? Yep. Aside from the fact that they don't currently have a collective. They're absolutely in the haves, yes. They don't currently have a collective, but whatever. Okay. He said about NIL, it's, it's all still new. It's a really difficult question to answer. He's talking about whether or not he, I think the question is about whether or not they're at a disadvantage because they don't have a collective. It's a really difficult question to answer because you have rules, and the rules are extremely clear, and they're not being enforced. Assuming at some point either the rules will change or the rules will be enforced. One of those two things is going to happen, hopefully sooner rather than later. And once that happens, it'll be easier to say you've got, you've got these schools who are very outward with their collectives. All of a sudden, they start enforcing the rules. They're going to be some nervous people. Then the schools that aren't doing it, if all of a sudden they say it's okay and they're not going to enforce it, then those schools are probably going to have to step up and be more aggressive. It's just hard to say. It's like right now everybody's got to decide what side of the fence you're on, and I think everybody is in wait-and-see mode. Some type of change is coming. We've just got to see what it is. So he's basically just saying, tell me what the rules are, and I'll do it. If we need to have this collective and use it as an inducement, we'll do it here at USC. But if we're not, everyone else shouldn't do it, and we're not going to do it. Yeah, the thing that I find that I always think, because he's not the first person to have a quote like this, the thing that I always think, Mitch, is that if they change the rules, then the people that are in the current collective world don't have to fret. They're not breaking the rule yet. If well, they no, create they, a rule... They are breaking the rule because the rules exist. He's talking about enforcing But if they enforce the rules yes. that they can't enforce, then sure, but there's, they're not enforceable rules, which is why they're being broken outwardly, and we're just, we talk about them being broken. So, I wonder, he said those things before... Um, he said them Friday. He said them Friday. So what night did Malachi Nelson visit A and M? Oh no, it was, it was after. Malachi you know, Nelson went Thursday night. Okay, so I yeah. under I wonder why he said those things. Yeah, he was just yeah. like I just it was like he's sort of at a position of quote unquote strength where he can say it because he knows at USC they can mobilize and do that. If he was at Washington State and everyone's using it as as inducements for there's their, three tiers. Yeah, there's three tiers of programs right now. You have. Because, like, I don't know what Alabama's collective situation is, but I don't. Th- I think it's non-existent from what I understand. Like, the way that Tennessee's collective is written about and described is much different than the way that Alabama and Ohio State's collective or, or their NIL scenario is. So if you're already a made program that has all these built-in um, advantages of, of going to your school, good coaching, NFL track record, all those things, then you don't have to induce people the same way. But you also have people who are trying to use NIL as the uh, door opening to change the status or the the positioning of their program. So USC is kind of in a weird middle there because they're not in a place where they need to go out and let the NIL floodgates go through the haywire in order to continue to build their program, but they're also not elite right now. So, like, you don't want they're, – they're kind of, like, flood, fluttering in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, Tennessee, I know exactly what they're doing. They're doing everything that they can from a financial standpoint within or without the letter <laughs> of the rules in order to get the best possible class in order to be a better football team and to raise their stature in the SEC. SEC or USC doesn't have to do that. But also, if USC does nothing, they're going to lose. So it's kind of this weird, like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like back and forth and it's like if i were the head coach at usc i don't know what i would do but if they lose malachi nelson to a&m then that is a clear distinguishable result that says that without this in place we cannot keep even the best players in southern california home because they want to get paid and something has to change i mean like think about what malachi nelson is he committed to Oklahoma when he was still at Oklahoma Lincoln to play for Lincoln Riley, then flipped to USC to play there, for Lincoln Riley. There's nothing that changed so what's about he that do? relationship. Nothing cha- yeah. He was all in on Lincoln Riley. So if he goes to A&M, what is that a statement of? Clear statement of, hey, they have more financial situations that will be beneficial to me and my family in the short term, and that is important to me. So if USC can acknowledge that, then they have to do something in order to compensate these players the same way that A&M is doing it. And whether or not AM is breaking the rules, I guess, is kind of an interesting dynamic. But I don't understand how you could possibly enforce inducement. I don't know how you can... Even if everybody knows that you went there for money, you have to prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt. Nico Ayamayaliva, I can't say his name, and I hope that you forgive me. Just call him Nico. Nico 
is going to Tennessee and everybody assumes that he's the $8 million man and the only reason why he's going to Tennessee is because of the money, right? Correct. If he comes out and says, I love Tennessee and I would go there for free. Like they've got a great offense. I yeah, what, Josh Heupel. What are you going to do? Yeah. How do you know what induced him? An inducement is such a is such a general term. You got coaches coming out and Brian Day said they need 13 mil for their roster. Is that not an inducement? Well, it's the would, same exact thing. He would argue it's the opposite of the inducement. It's to keep guys here. It's not inducing them to come. Oh, you don't think that the $13 million is going to matter to the thir- to the 17-year-old who's making a decision and knows there's money down the yellow brick road? It's all part of the same game. It's just different branches of it. You can outwardly offer somebody a contract, sign this shit here and get paid, or you can say, you know what, you come to our school and you're going to be bathing in cash, which is what I think A&M is trying to do. But either way, there's all it's all different forms of inducement. I mean, Texas's running back has a, Labrig- a Lamborghini deal. You don't think that matters to people? It's all part of the same inducement strategy, and I'm all for it. I think the inducement thing should should go out out the window. Like, so what are you I, what are you going to do? I mean, I, I you're anti-inducement. I agree with your your point about it's it's impossible to prove because with the definition in, and you can't prove why a kid went there. I'm all for. NIL in Lamborghini deals while you're in school, I wish they could enforce the actual inducement like I'm going to Tennessee, I'm going to Oregon, I'm going to this school, I'm not going to USC. The second they opened up the money spigot, it was over. Right. I, yeah, I, I'm not th- disagreeing with that. Yeah. I'm just saying I, if we you can't, wish they were we all can't playing the by rules. the same rules. Yeah, we can't make the rules perfect. Because even if you outlaw, if you outlaw the contracts with the collectives, all they're going to say is the average freshman on our roster right. makes this much so money. So that's an inducement. Yeah. It's, it's all inducement. Yeah. Everything's an inducement. And before finances were above board, playing early is an inducement. And getting dr- picked in the draft is a, every The rec- recruiting is a synonym for the word inducement. The whole thing's an inducement. So then Alabama wouldn't be able to recruit well because their inducements wouldn't be fair. Because Every they, single they person is inducing team. everybody. <laughs> all right. Let's move on. Can we move on? That was a good. Con- I mean, we're like, how many minutes are we into this thing? I feel like we're humming right yeah. now. I'm like bashing it. Yeah. There's something about you, your you, body warmth. I don't know. <laughs> you, need, you, need, you need to fly in every week for the Yeah. Pod. I'll just move here. Yeah. Leave perfect. my family. Yeah. Uh, hey, we're going to be empty nesters in like three you weeks. You do have a Publix right across the street, which yeah. probably has a really high impact on your housing value. Yeah. Yeah. Must Gabe used to work there. Do you ever go get the chicken finger sub there? I oh, you can't. I can't. Gabe used to get it all the time and come that's home a shame. And I'd be so jealous. I think you should just do it once a year. But treat you, yourself. We are, we are going to be empty nesters you can take gabe's room and you can just come stay here for about like a month or two okay perfect um so i'm gonna just something that struck me this you want to go to the corvette museum tonight and no in bowling green no no interest at all i was just kidding me and okay. landis went there together you once. did yeah but because but, you were driving through you yeah didn't... we didn't drive there for the yes. museum i think it was because we saw it off the side of the highway yeah when i was in college um also my dream car is a 1969 corvette stingray ss or i mean uh not ss Stingray with the uh, T-tops, the black one. So when, Like Chris Tucker's car from Rush Hour. Have you no, seen that movie? No. So, <laughs> How have you never seen Rush Hour? I just haven't. So when I was in college, uh, one of my friends was from Chicago and found out that they were selling old-style beer for $8 a case right across the border in Kentucky. So we drove up, and I was not 21 yet. It was my junior year. I was 20, but I had a car. So I drove up with my friend who lived in Chicago, like in the city, like so... I didn't know this, but he never drove a car. Like, he had his license, but he never drove. So we went up, bought like 10 cases of old style, put it in the back of my car. Whoa. And uh, just like took some orders for some friends. And we're driving back. And like, I had a blue sports car with like jersey license plates. What sports car was it? It was like a Plymouth Blaze or something like that. You think that's a sports car? Uh, Whatever it was. It was was sporty, okay? Okay, sporty. Yeah. Um, So with jersey license plates. So we're leaving... And my friend's like, can I drive back to Nashville? It's like 30, it's like 35, 40 minutes. So we pull out of the gas station right across the border. And he hadn't driven a car in like two or three years. Because he's like, you know, he's from Chicago. So he starts swerving on like the road. Like he was drunk To, to get his bearings. And we get pulled over by some Kentucky cop. I'm not 21. It's my car. I got 10 cases of beer in the back. I'm like, I'm going to jail in some small town in Kentucky. And what they, you- we just he let us go. He, like, didn't even check my ID. He just took my friend's ID. My friend explained, like, hey. I mean, I've been pulled over, like, a thousand times in my life. I actually used to have what they call a speeding ticket problem. <laughs> and, like, they almost revoked my license oh, mean, when I was you younger. something of an excess was a problem of yours? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I'm always, everything's excess for me. Yeah. Um, 
funny enough, alcohol never was one of those things. Um, but I, it never popped my trunk. Like, I don't know what what you have to do between pulled over to, can you pop your trunk, please? Yeah, yeah. But, like, I think it has to be bad. So as yeah. long as you're not hammered. Yeah. I mean, we were sober. If you're like, sober, I like, just wasn't, what are they yeah. gonna, why would they pop your trunk? But yeah. I know when you're a kid, you're freaking yeah, out. So. Um, but, yeah, that's funny. Uh, okay. By the way, here is a 1969 Corvette Stingray. Okay, let me look at it. Yeah, it's fine. What? Yeah. I mean, like, I... Do. You think that's fine? Yeah, it's great. I mean, whatever. Um, One day when I buy a third car, because I've always wanted to have, like, a third... Like, not a second car, but a third car for my family. Yeah. I want to get, like, a cool third sports car that I drive on the weekends. I've always, like, thought that would be great. Good for you. Probably. You don't... You, that doesn't sound... No. no. Um, what do you like? What like I what like, what do you like? I like you. Every single time I like say this is gonna, I'd like to do this or that. Yeah, you're like, eh. What like what? Is, you've know. got everything. I got That's everything. It? Okay, you're I good. Got everything. Mitch um, is like the most ideal human being on the face of the I'm earth. He's content. He's content, and and being content is like a gift. Yeah. Being constantly content with everything at all times. I've never even heard you get upset about anything. Oh, one time. Yeah. But it wasn't about material items. Um. All right. So there were a lot of just looking at social media, whatever. Just a lot of. I don't know if struck, this struck you, Ari, but a lot of like kind of offers that went out to longtime commits and vice versa. So I'm just going to run by some and you butt in if you think anything. I'm just going to chill. Yeah. Uh, well, did you know, did we talked about the Dylan Edwards? You know, he was a uh, the four-star uh, running back from Kansas who committed to Kansas State and for a while had the distinction of being the lowest four-star kid. Like so, yeah, he was he was like, he was, he was like a Mr. Yeah, top fifty. For, no, 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 the opposite, like the lowest. Oh, the four lowest star, four star kid. Yeah, Mr. Sorry, yes, and now he's stars. in the top three, three fifty. Yeah, I think, so yeah. he got a commitment. He got an offer from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He went up to Notre Dame on a visit. And decommitted from Kansas State. So, I would say you know strong chance that Dylan Edwards, and that's that's a tough blow. Kansas State gets an in-state commitment. How many four star running backs are from Kansas historically? Yeah. Not a lot. They get him. Uh, tough blow there. Um, Notre Dame offered four-star uh, linebacker Caleb Herring, a top, the top player in the state of Tennessee. He's committed to Tennessee. Notre Dame offered four-star quarterback Kenny Minchie from Nashville, um, who's committed to Pitt. Um, did you see this? Clemson offered four-star Ohio State commit Jermaine Matthews. Saw that. Notre Dame five-star edge commit Keon Keeley visited Alabama this week. Uh, so that's something obviously to watch. And then this is part of the, the Oklahoma story. Notre Dame five-star commit safety Peyton Bowen visited A&M and OU this week. He goes to Denton Geyer and his high school teammates with Jackson Arnold. So he was in town. I heard of him. Okay. You want to know why? Uh, why? Because he was the lead of the column. You wrote a column about that? He's the lead of the Oklahoma I know, column. I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm kidding. Um, Good one. Yeah, you mentioned Malachi Nelson to Texas A&M. We have not talked Brock. Glenn. I thought like when that happened that this was gonna be that was gonna be the whole show. Yeah. When that happened on Thursday, night, I was like, okay, well, I guess we don't have to prep for Wednesday. <laughs> well, you don't prep anyway. Yeah. Um, well, because I'm the talent. Yeah. Brock Glenn, Ohio State, <laughs> Huge. which was interesting because, as you wrote in your mailbag that was published today, which people will be listening this Thursday, but you're like, you know, and it was kind of, it made sense. Austin Novosad, Baylor commit, goes up to Ohio State, throws for the coaches, gets an offer. Okay, he's going to commit there. Well, that didn't happen. Brocklin goes up the next week, gets an offer. He's going to commit. Didn't happen. But a month later, Brocklin to Ohio State had been trending to Florida State. Now, Florida State didn't get him. Chris Parson decommits from Florida State a couple weeks ago. Florida State had Kaysen Wiseman in town, ranked number 1,207. So they're scrambling to get a quarterback. So we'll see what happens there. These are because not- they were like all in on Brock Lynn too, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think they felt they had him. And the, the, these are notable: Dijon Johnson decommitted from Ohio State, who Grace Rayner did a feature on him, did a story on him a couple weeks ago from in, in Tampa. He was one of the fastest risers in the class, was in like the four hundreds, and is now a top one hundred cornerback. Visited looks to be a Miami and Florida battle. Ty Lockwood decommitted from Ohio State, a uh, local kid here from Franklin, Tennessee, longtime Ohio State commitment. He, he recently uh, committed to Alabama. And then here's a kind of a notable one because quarterbacks are always notable. Ricky Collins, uh, Baton Rouge native, had been committed to Purdue for a while, decommitted after a weekend visit to LSU. And LSU, which does not have a quarterback in its class, there were two top five national quarterbacks, Eli Holstein, I guess, yeah, from from Louisiana who are going elsewhere. Eli Holstein and who else? Um 
Arch Manning. And uh, so it looks like Weeks, no, we, Ricky Collins, not Ricky Weeks, Ricky Weeks, the baseball player, Ricky Collins to LSU. So again, just a flurry of guys getting offers. I don't know if it's sort of like after, okay, July's over, all the visits are over, some recording, recording like reset, yeah. boards are being reset, and like schools with, without quarterbacks are going after quarterbacks. Yeah, and it's good to be LSU. If you need a quarterback, then you just get to eat someone's lunch. Yeah. So, Top you know. 200 kid in state. And it's like if Ohio State didn't get Brock Glenn, then Brock Glenn might have gone to one of the other schools and Ohio State would have offered Ricky Collins. I mean, it's like that's what happens. It's really, really hard. Now, if Purdue had a don't visit policy, this would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, we're going to talk about The a fact sp- like, that anybody <laughs> thought that Purdue was going to get that long term. The kid lives in Baton Rouge, doesn't well, he? Yeah, I mean, the worst thing that happened to like, if you're a Purdue fan, you're like, okay, we got a top 200 kid from Baton Rouge. This is awesome. You look at, you go to 247, wow, there's two other quarterbacks from the state that are ranked higher. We're going to hold gonna on to this fine. guy. We're going to be fine, yeah. No. Yeah. And Unless like, Arch Manning flips to LSU. Yeah. Are you reporting that? That's, I'm reporting that right okay. now, yeah. That'd be good for business. Um, let's talk Yeah, if he reopened his recruitment, yeah. we can get a mulligan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about your Florida Gators. On a little bit of Ari's doing the Gator Chomp right here, so I found this. You know what's so funny? What is like I've like kind of gravitated. Like if you go read some of the comments from the Oklahoma story, they're like, "Well, he's clearly a Texas apologist." (laughs) It's like people like actually think that like when I get excited about like a certain school or I think they're in a good spot that like I love them. No, you're rooting for yourself to be. So like I'm rooting for Florida now. I'm a big Florida guy, big Texas guy, yeah, big USC guy, right, big A and M guy. Coincidentally, too, yeah. So those four schools that I, I've thought are in a really good position are my favorite schools now. I used even to, though two of them are rivals. Yeah, I used yeah. to. Um, people would ask me like when I was at Athlon and we do these predictions. Like I just root for the predictions to be right. Like I have a rooting interest in every game because I want our predictions to be right. Like so, I'm, I'm like if the one year we picked Florida number one, and um, you know I was rooting for Florida. I wasn't rooting for Tim. Like I didn't care. I just wanted to be right. And so, do so you think that anybody looked at Athlon magazine in December and was like these assholes were wrong? Yeah, no, we would get comments like that. Really? And there's there's a website uh, called Stassen.com that tracked the accuracy of preseason magazines like ours and Lindy's and Phil Still and all that. And I was obsessed. Like we won it like four years in a row. It's the most accurate. I like that's I that's all I cared about. Just trying to be accurate on this. Really? Yeah. Like it's a Does that website still exist? Yeah, I think so. S T S S T A S. So you would like obsess over that the way that I obsess over my metrics? Yeah. Yeah. So Because you guys used to predict every single game well no we, we we didn't you have was it was it your magazine that was wwwlww and we stopped doing that because I, I just i didn't like it well that also was like an insane amount of work I yeah bet. yeah and um so but i mean we we, we would predict every school's record and then we do our rankings and the conference predictions and all that stuff so but yeah, you still be, but you would still have to basically do that yeah if you no were, yeah you're projecting out so yeah. I, i'd be watching a you know like random Toledo Ball State game getting pissed and Heather would be like what the hell like why do you care and it's like, you know, yeah I don't know why you would care yeah I mean it wasn't like the end all be all I just wanted to try and be accurate and you know we did magazines for everything I didn't care but about there's, there's never any single thing the thing that I think is interesting about being a sports writer is that there seems to be this like expectation from the people who read our stuff that we know what's going to happen yeah it's true but it's like if you did we'd be gambling I would be gambling, <laughs> but more. <laughs> it's different, different than like covering national college football or covering a beat than being the editor of a prediction magazine. You know, the, the, yeah. So that was a little different there. Yeah. Um, okay, so so Florida, who you have been on the Billy Napier bandwagon, and Billy I've kind Napier of, gets it bandwagon. I've kind of pushed back because they the results hadn't been there. They're they're they're, they're there now. Uh, class up to number 12, an a- average player rating of 91.84. Here's the stat that you're going to like, and Florida fans will like. 10 of their 12 commitments are blue chippers. Now, they have one top 100 kid, Aiden Mizell, Mizell I guess, top uh, number 72 wide receiver from Orlando, recently got commitments from cornerback Jakeem Jackson, number 168 from Kissimmee, uh, safety Jordan Castell, number 202 from Winter Garden, and... Wide receiver Andy Jean, number 332 from Miami. 16 commits, 14 from Florida. And here's a key, too. They are firmly in the mix for Cormorani McLean, the number one cornerback, and Dijon Johnson, the recent Ohio State decommitted top one. Yeah, he was. The thing that's interesting about Florida is that, I mean, who do you think Florida fans are more comparing their results to? Are they comparing them to Alabama or are they comparing them to Miami? 
because it's like a two it's like a two direction front there. If they overtake uh, Alabama for an in-state prospect, then all of a sudden Miami's also in the mix here. So they have to beat. You know who I'd compare them to? I would compare them to Dan Mullen. I would compare them to. I, I would um, just want to be better than we've been. Like not to be corny, but like yeah. the team you well, want to be better. Well, and I think that that's already proven. Well, it wasn't until recently. Like we, they've been making some buzz. Like if you want my average player rating, okay, you were looking from like the infrastructure standpoint, which is very fair. I was looking at more from. I the just results. like if somebody gets it and is passionate yeah, about it, it will be better. Okay, like that, there's no. So like, that's fair. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like their, their average player rating was still very similar to. to the, yeah, the no, it was it was kind of rough to look at the last month yeah. until this until the last few weeks. Yeah. So. Um, you know, good for them. They have some momentum. I know there's there's been a lot of uh, NIL battle, not you know, talk with them in Miami, and they're you know, Miami's obviously has a very active collective, but Florida is 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 doing its is holding its own. I want to transition to another school, Florida State. Class is number thirty nine right now. Average player ranking of ninety point two five. Now here's something. Teams 26 through 50, only A&M has a higher average player rating. So if you got that, like their class is 39, but if you're taking that 25 through 50, Florida State's average player rating is second in that group there. So that's, that's showing that there's possibilities. Here are a couple things not to love. Only 5 of 11 are blue chippers. 6 of 11 are ranked 500 or worse. Now they do have three top 120 players, all three on the line of scrimmage. They don't have a quarterback right now. So that's just... I just feel like Florida State, when they lost Travis Hunter, it was like such a death blow. And then, like, losing Chris Parson was another death blow. It's just... In, like, do you we, think it's possible for Miami, Florida, and Florida State to all be good at the yeah, same time? Yeah, oh yeah, I do. And, like, I think I talked to you... I talked to uh, our former colleague, current friend, Bill Landis, and, and Tony Morales on this when you were when you were out. Antonio Morales is still our colleague, right? Yes, he is. Okay. Yes. Beloved colleague. Um... Someone my age, it just—it's unfathomable that Florida State is not more prominent. Did you—you've been looking up? Look at your sheet. Mitch uh, was born in 1963, and he no, still I, prints out everything. I was born in 1971. Uh, 71. 71. My birthday's coming. You're up. You're 11 years younger than my father. Holy shit! So I'm closer in age to your father yes. than you. Uh, my my father was born in 1960. Wow. And Mitch prints out um, the. The this? sheets, everything that he has, like everything he has, he prints. That's not true. There's a loose check over there too. Did you deposit that? Yeah, I did. Okay, I'm just making sure. You know, I deposit with my app because I'm so young. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah but he, he 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 printed it all out for us. Um, I have a spreadsheet with every school's rank, every Power Five school's ranking over the last 15 years. I'm do sorry us a favor be- if you listen to the show and you print spreadsheets out, please email us. <laughs> I'd like to know if if, I, if, I, if you're out there. Singular spreadsheet. Spreadsheet. Print spreadsheets. I've got one, so when I'm doing a podcast, better can... yet, if you have a printer, to, uh, <laughs> mail into the show. Let us know if you have a printer. Um, no, fa- but, fax but what I was going to say though fax is, is that picture of your printer. You have all these these bullet points and all these rankings and everything in front of you, and I love that you're prepared. But you're really in on this recruiting thing. You know all about it, right? When there's a top flight player in the state of Florida, is Florida State typically in the mix there? No. And that's the problem. And I don't know how to fix that, other than to, to work hard and start winning. Start games winning and... games. I guess I don't know. Like, do you think that? I mean, maybe perception of the program and and how you look on the field is a is a huge indicator of whether or not people are going to take you seriously. But it's not like Florida was lighting the world on fire. Miami hasn't been a juggernaut. I'm a big. Those guys are landing top hundred players from the other side of the country right now. I, I know certain. I know a lot of people say like, "There's no such thing as luck, and you make your own luck." I'm going to say it's bad luck for Mike Norvell and Florida State that Deion Sanders just happened to come by with Jackson State and steal his tra- number one. But do you think Travis if Travis Hunter, Hunter would have gone to Florida State that their entire program would be different right now? There would be a lot of things that are different. You just said the yeah, whole. Yeah, no, I know. Era, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to think of like. Right. I'm just saying like out of all the years. Didn't they lose the that, other five-star kid they had too? No. Or did no, they assign him? Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, from from. In state, yeah, uh, hunters from Georgia, but like, like, just it's sort of bad luck that the the, the one year they had the number one kid in the country. Yeah, no, that is, sucked, and it's, it's also bad luck that yeah, you, Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal took the job. Well, like, that's maybe, not luck. That's just well, yeah, I guess it is luck. But like, he he's yeah. not there at the right time. Yeah. If he was there when Mullen and um, Manny Diaz were still the head coaches, it would be easier to operate. Yeah, yeah. So I just he seems like a good coach. He did well at Memphis, and I mean, I think he gets it. But getting it and having the results are two different things. So, you know, it's just 
you know, maybe maybe there's not room for three great programs in Florida and Alabama recruiting there and Georgia recruiting there, you know, but it's just a surprise. Another school that we've talked about some that got some good news this week, South Carolina. Uh, two four-star commits, uh, Marquis Anderson, four-star. Here's the key. They got two in-state four-stars. Um, Anderson's number 136 overall from Roebuck, South Carolina, and then Montique Rames, four-star defensive lineman, number 346 from Sumter, South Carolina. Class is number 22, average player rating, 88.72. But they've got two of the top four in the state. They've got a crystal ball for number three in state, Xavier McLeod, uh, the number one player in the state, Monroe Freeling. We talked about him last week's going elsewhere. So incremental improvement. They yeah, showed improvement. Yeah. So it's kind of like what you want to see. From it's South a Carolina. really hard job. Yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of schools trying to be good, especially in the SEC. Oh, boy, I see the next one on there. Yeah. Hey, you, you, you okay? This is this – is, this is, is all – is it coming true? Yeah, the, is it? Uh, Go ahead. Who, are you, could next? you be right? We're going to talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes. You used to have an Ohio State podcast. It's pretty good. I used to listen to it. Can you just give me a week to mourn it before you start poking fun at me about it? I mean, you ran into the ground. It was really successful. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all me. And um, so, okay. Corner, cornerback Dijon Johnson, we've mentioned many times today, decommitted from uh, Ohio State, headed to Miami or Florida. Tight end Tyler Lockwood decommitted and is headed to Alabama. Ari has long been had a theory that while acknowledging no matter what happens, Ohio State, Ohio State will sign a very good class this year, it's going to have a difficult time signing an elite class. A lot of that was based elite on... Elite in, in restros, or in comparison to what they yeah, view elite. Right. Yes. And a lot, a lot of your theory... See, you're right and not right. A lot of your theory was based on like Ohio State's uh, the, the lack of elite players in Ohio, so they're going to have to go elsewhere. That's part and, of it. And yep. there was Lincoln Riley to contend with, Merrick Cristobal to, to contend with, and some other Billy Napier. Yeah, Billy Napier. What do you have there written there on the first line? What D. John Johnson headed yeah. to Miami or Florida? Yeah. So literally the entire that that sentence right there encapsulate what I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So they were. But they sort of push through, and they still have their class. Yeah, yeah, no, they have great. They've got a good class, but, but it's like just kind of it's been a very bad. Well, the few thing, weeks. yeah, they pushed yeah. through and kind of said, "Well, that's not going to happen to us." And now things are kind of caving in. It's like they tripped uh, on the way to the finish line. There. Yeah, and I can't stress enough. And you, you and Bill talk about this a lot. Like the fact that the two of the, the top two players are wide receivers is like not good. I mean, no, of course I they're great players. Yeah, and like, I don't know if I'm allowed to like take credit for it because after Ohio State signed all those players, like I'm an idiot, I'm wrong. Yeah. So like I like backpedaled because once yeah. I thought I was wrong, I like six, I, I, uh, what's the word? I, uh, conceded, conceded my point. So I don't know if I get to come back and get my it's point. It's a podcast. You can say whatever you want. But this is exactly the type of thing that I thought could happen. And it's like the thing that you have to consider, Mitch, is that Ohio State might not be losing players in the top 100 to, to those schools, but when they lose a player, the secondary guys that they go after are going to Miami and LSU and Ohio State, I mean, or in, in Florida and USC, and it's harder for Ohio State to get those guys. Like, Dijon Robinson is a top 100 corner that should be in their class Dijon right Johnson. now. What did I say? Robinson? Yes. I type Robinson every time I say his name, too. Okay. I have, like, a brain shortage problem. I, have you noticed well, that? Yes. Like, we're like, I know what I'm trying to say, but I say something else a lot. Seriously, a, a I got to see a doctor about that. A lot. And then Ty Lockwood, what are you going to do? I don't know. I mean, well, go flipping to out. Alabama. I'm go trying. I'm trying. 20 minutes from here. Yeah. Um, so, just something to monitor, you know, kind of. But don't you agree with my point? Like, they need defensive players. And, like, what's the point of having the best wide receiver, like, group in the history of college football if you can't stop anybody? Now, I'm a big believer in Jim Knowles. I think he's great hire. I don't know if there'll be a championship defense this year. Like, the health of Ohio State football is great. I, we both, you know, it's, it's a healthy program, whatever. Yeah, but it's just, just uh, bumps in the road. They happens. just need to trade one of their wide receiver commitments for a defensive line commitment. Yeah. They get really good receivers. Yeah. Okay. You know, and it's just like, yeah, you would like to see it more balanced if you're an Ohio State fan. Yeah. Because their average player rating is being propped up by players that aren't necessarily needs. And they're not going to, probably not going to contribute next year. I mean, receivers are always a need. You want to get them, but they're not addressing a problem. At least it's a position like you can play three. Like running back would be a worse position to bulk, like stack elite players. Like at least you can play three receivers at a time. All right, some other commitments. Um your Oklahoma Sooners, Colton Vasek, uh, I believe four-star. I should have Big it. OU guy. Yeah, huge. Michigan, Evan Link, four-star offensive tackle from D.C. 
Um, Ole Miss, Neo Avery, four-star edge from Maryland. And Javante Connor, a three-star tight end from North Carolina, Michigan State. A four-star offensive lineman, um, Stanton Ramil, Ramil from Alabaster, Alabama. By the way, just growing up um, uh, an Alabama fan, as you know I was, but um, who's – I'm drawing a – I have one of those, one of Ari Brinkramps, the the, uh, the the famous college football announcer, Keith Jackson. I just remember watching him do Alabama games and guys like Alabaster. Whoa, Nelly. Alabaster. Did Al- I sound way, anything like him? Sort of. Like the way he would say Alabaster, Alabama was just great. Um, so just one of those small towns in Alabama that I've heard that guy was years. That guy's voice is college football to me. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Beloved. You know where he went to college? Vanderbilt. No, no. It's kind of like you, th- you associate him with like Southern football because Washington State. I didn't know that. I just thought he was a Vander guy, Vanderbilt no. guy, because I'm looking at it's a shrine of Vanderbilt stuff in here. Class of '93. How old were you? Six. Six. Okay. Uh, which I should know because I'm 21 years old. Sometimes I feel like you're not that much older than me, and then sometimes I, I feel like you're way older than me, and I don't know like which one it is. How old are you? 50. We've been over this. Remember yeah. last week I said we're basically the same age. You're 35. I'm 50. Wow. All right. Uh, we'll do a couple mailbag, and then we'll we'll hit trivia. Um, Are there any, this is from Craig, are there specific schools with coaches in the hot seat whose status is hampering their recruiting? I, I looked real quick before we came on. I threw at three. I'd say Florida State. I don't know that Mike Norvell's the most That secure. was one that came into my head. Georgia Tech, I think. is Georgia definitely. Tech, probably, yeah. And I put Michigan. Like, judging his hot-seatedness isn't always – because we don't know. They just won the Big Ten last year. But it's what you've talked about, what Vol talked about, is the fact that he flirted with an NFL team. Yeah, it's, I don't it's, know if he's on the hot seat, but people are afraid that he's leaving. Right. Yeah. 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 So his commitment to the school. Does he – I mean, to me, Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh has got know five what the more years. Commitment means? Jim Harbaugh does not know what the word commitment means. Yeah. Uh, five more years probably after the year they had last year, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if they made it through that first five or six, they finally made it to the mountaintop. But yeah. um, I'm trying to think of like – because like last year's um, – There's so many big changes that – So many first-year coaches in positions at schools where they fire the most. I mean, the one that I would think about the most that you didn't mention uh, is Auburn. Oh, yeah. Should I mention Auburn? I mean, they're probably number one. Yeah. After what happened last year. Um, and they can't get a commitment. I mean, they can't. I think they have a recent commitment, but they can't get anybody. They got two four-stars from uh, and a quarterback in the 24 class, which was interesting. Yeah. So, you know, what I, would, I would... What are the chances when those guys are seniors? That Auburn they're, is they're, not they're, recruiting even remotely as close to what Auburn should be recruiting at. And I think the reason why is because their head coach got kicked out from the legs and is, like, in a bad position. Yeah, we've been over this. You've never been to Auburn, have you? No. Good place. I, I like the town. I've been to Tuscaloosa, Great never stadium. to Auburn. Cool, cool, cool stadium, cool, cool place. Um, lots to like about Auburn. Um, this is a specific question that I'll, I'll make it more of a general question from Jeff C. How long does it take Miami to figure out that Crystal Ball is a better recruiter than Coach? It's sort of like what part of uh, Oregon do you live in, Jeff? <laughs> um, Downtown Eugene. Yeah, downtown Eugene. He's oh. actually the duck mascot. <laughs> he has it in his house. So I think it's an interesting from a, if you're an athletic director and you've got a coach who kicks ass in recruiting and then you've noticed that he's not exactly an X's and O's genius, at like what point do you just get fed Those up? Those coaches have to be smart enough to get a staff. They right, can, well, yeah. Right, but some don't. At what point do you realize and just say it's not going to happen? Like five years in, like I think that's what – that's what angers a fan base and probably an athletic director more than anything. Like everyone wants to win, but when you think your team as a fan isn't playing to its ability, that's the most aggravating thing. And I think it's probably aggravating for an athletic director. So at some point, you're going to pull the plug on a coach who's not winning, even if he keeps. How signing. many years was Mario at our Oregon? Was it four, three full seasons? Yeah, I don't know. Like if he was there long enough for him to get everything going the way that he needed it to go, but. I'm sure he would say no. I mean, if you ask Dan Rubenstein of the Solid Verbal, who's a huge yeah. Oregon fan, his number one thing was that Mario Cristobal was a great recruiter and a good ambassador for the program, but they never got them to play at their level. I think the biggest indictment against Mario was he was Mr. – I'm not saying this like facetiously. He was like Mr. Tough Guy, we're going to recruit the offensive line, and they got their ass kicked by a Utah team twice. Yeah, inferior yeah, yeah. So He was there for four full seasons. Which is ironic because now Miami has a five-star offensive lineman committed and they're going after Samson Okunlola, who's – the pancake hotch, and they might get two five-star offensive linemen in this you class. You call pancakes flapjacks in your, your mailbag. Because I tried not to use pancakes twice in the same sentence. Yeah. Um, do you call them flapjacks? 
I mean, I, I'm not. I call them hotcakes. If, if I were born in 1960, I might. I was just trying to be different because you get mad at me for repeating the same word. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do think that it's an interesting thing to track. And I don't know, like, if you have a coach who's pulling in top five recruiting classes every year, it's hard to fire him. But if you do that for eight straight years and your team suck for eight <laughs> years, then probably going to do something eventually. Or at least put him in a position where he has to hire coordinators and let them run the show. Also, if you're a really good head coach, you have to understand when you have a deficiency. Right. And if you're not good at something, then you can hire You must really suck as a hirer of assistants if you're a great recruiter and you have great talent and you still suck. Because that means you hire people. Right, that's what I mean. If you you hire crap, well, no. I mean, sometimes people hire assistants and then don't let them do them anything. you got to be able to delegate and and trust people are doing their job. It's easy for us to say, but like these coaches who are so successful have huge egos. So it's it's difficult for them to let go. Okay, next question. Okay. Uh, Kyle, oh, best Bill Landis memory working with him. Maybe the last day on the job. Yeah. I, by the way, I like I listened to the end of the podcast you guys did, um, Ohio State podcast. And I just liked how he was trying to sign off, and you were like, "No, don't," because once we stop talking, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. And then he goes, "We'll talk to you soon." I was like, "No, we won't." <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing when, uh, yeah. Um, Landis and I had a lot of very fun um, road trips together, but one time we went to Penn State and. His, his, uh, he's a native son. Yeah, we stayed in Altoona, and we went to Permanti Brothers, and it was my first time at Permanti Brothers, and I thought it was terrible. Place? No, it's like the... You know what Permanti Brothers is? No. It's like that... Uh, well, you, it's there's gluten in it, so you can't have it, but it's uh, a sandwich with fries on it. It's like a big, fat sandwich with fries. So it's like a Pittsburgh, like it's Pittsburgh yeah, it's like thing. It's like a Pittsburgh yeah, thing, okay. and I thought it was terrible. And then Landis and I went back to the hotel and played, like, Madden uh, at night before, because I brought my PlayStation... <laughs> Because that was at the phase of our lives. We were still in our 20s where that was something that you would bring with you. And it was just a good time just hanging out with a good friend on the road. Um, I don't have any strip club stories or, you know, cocaine snorting or anything <laughs> like that. But I just genuinely enjoyed being on the road with him and, and covering the team and, and just having a good friend next to me. And I'll miss them. But now I've got Mitch, so. Yeah. I'm Landis Light. Um, one more. Joe V. I think I know what you're going to answer here. If you're an AD, would you rather hire Marcus Freeman or Luke Fickle as your head coach? Fickle has already proven he can build a great program, but his protege Freeman is the better recruiter out of the two. Um, I thought that it was crazy that they didn't wait for Fickle to be done with his playoff run before courting him, because I feel like part of the reason why they hired Freeman was the timing of it. And I, w- I would have gone Fickle before because you want to get somebody who's built that. But now that Freeman's doing what he's doing, I think that Freeman's an ideal fit there, and I've got the benefit of hindsight. And I think I wouldn't want to change what they have going on there. So I'm going to pick Freeman, but if you would have asked me this in December, I would have said Fickle. And not that Fickle wouldn't have done awesome also, but Freeman is the ideal ideal change that Notre Dame, I feel like, needed. So, you know, they're both really good options in my opinion, but Freeman's doing a hell of a job. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's almost, other than the collapse in the bowl game against Oklahoma State. I mean, they the have actual coaching. There's nothing you can be critical of. They also haven't had uh, they haven't had any real games that matter yet, and the recruiting has been at such a high uptick. It's like really hard to criticize or envision something being different right now. It's going so well for them on the recruiting trail. It's just like this is exactly what you were hoping for if you're a Notre Dame fan. So I'd be an idiot to change that. Yeah. So I, it's worked out well for both places. Um, Ready for a little trivia? That, it's a podcast. You have to say yes. Yes. Okay. You can't Sorry, my no. dad's just texted me something funny. Okay. Your dad, who's just nine years older than me? Yeah. Can't believe that. You guys went to high school together. <laughs> Where's your dad from? Is he from Phoenix? He's from Ohio. Oh, that's right. I knew that. And then they, we moved to Phoenix when I was five. Oh. Um, what is the... <laughs> stop looking at my computer. What? I got a Slack message. That Ari's trying to read. Okay, just just let's wrap okay. this thing up here. Okay. I'm tired. Tired? Um, what is... <laughs> stop it. What is the most amount of top 10 signees a single program has ever had in a class? I'm sorry. I was just thinking about your <laughs> Slack message. Will you say it again? What is the most amount of top 10 signees a single program has had in a class in the modern recruiting era? 16. What? <laughs> Did you listen to the question? I'm going to fold the paper. Wait, read it again. No, look at the question. Oh, top 10. I <laughs> thought you said top 100. <laughs> Sorry. Isn't 16 top 100? 
I think Texas A&M know. had 16 top 100 they didn't have 16 okay, top 10. Top 10, I would say four. That was a high five for those yes. listening. Four, done twice, one with an asterisk, I would say. 21 was Ohio State four with Quinn Ewers, JT Tuimaloa. 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 Yeah. Well, I'll wait till he's good. Just call him JTT. Yeah, JTT. Jack Sawyer and Emika Egbuka. Yeah. Um, now, Quinn Ewers was originally. He was on the team for three hours. Yeah, but so he was in the 2022 class. So, like, when they. When they built this class. Yeah, and they so, didn't re-rate them, I don't think. Right. So, okay. Uh, and then USC in 2007. That's the one I knew. I didn't even remember Ohio State. So I knew. Jo- Joe McKnight, Chris Galipo, linebacker. Mark Taylor was a running back, and Everson Griffin. Joe made. McKnight was like the sickest, most filthy prospect yeah. of all time. See if you recall things. I asked you once on a podcast where he was from, and you didn't know. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Do you remember? Is he from Louisiana? New Orleans. All right, Ari. I'm proud of you, Yeah. Bro. So, all right. That's... uh. Stars Matter. I yeah, mean, thanks so much for listening to Stars Matter. Uh, Mitch's breath smells, so I'm going to go ahead and close this off so I can, you know, move back. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week. And, again, if somebody commits on Tuesday night and it's a five-star, we don't hate your program. This is just uh, when we recorded this week. We will get everything that we missed, um, if anything does happen in the next few days, on next week's show. Thanks again for listening, and that was Stars Matter. Stars Matter.